Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, the dark and depraved horror and comedy of filmmaker Ari Aster, director of Midsommar. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Yes, new exciting filmmaker Ari Aster is the guest on today's show. If you haven't heard about Ari yet, you've presumably heard about his films. He's made two features thus far. Both are excellent. One is currently in theaters, and both demand your attention if you're a cinephile. One was Hereditary. came out last summer. We had Tony Collette on the show. Uh, tour de force performance from her. And one of the most haunting, um, visually spectacular uh, debuts in film I've seen in some time. Uh, and now he's followed it up with the similar, similarly memorable Midsommar, uh, starring Florence Pugh, uh, Jack Rayner, Will Poulter. Um, this is a crazy movie <laughs> that you've probably heard your friends talking about if you haven't seen yet. It is definitely well worth your time. I've seen it twice. Yes, twice. I'm that kind of crazy guy. Um, and to, you know, to, to reveal a little bit of it, it's basically about a couple who is, um, clearly not meant to, to, to last. It's a breakup movie of sorts. They end up going to Sweden for a festival and, uh, the shit hits the fan. Things go badly. Things get really, really bad. <laughs> um, it is dark. It is weird. It is, um, bizarre. And yes, it is funny. It's very funny. Um, Ari Aster is, is a unique new voice in cinema, and I think you're going to enjoy hearing from him today. He's somebody who uh, I think you'll, you'll be able to tell from our conversation. We share a lot of sensibilities, a lot of the same reference points, and um, I, I really I, I couldn't be more interested and optimistic and excited about both the films he's made, but also the films to come in a what's sure to be a long and interesting career. Um, so a real pleasure if you're a cinephile, if you're somebody that's watching kind of like the next wave of great filmmakers, um, keep up with Ari Aster. He, he's making some really quality work, and Midsommar is definitely worth your time currently in theaters. Um, beyond that, what else to talk about so much? Um, I'm just back from Los Angeles for another quick little adventure. Um, I think I can say this now because the interviews are done. Um, I covered the new Quentin Tarantino movie, and I've got some really exciting stuff on its way for you guys. Um, I sat down for MTV uh, for an on-camera interview with some guys you might have heard of, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie. Yeah, that's kind of cool. That's even for a jaded uh, cynic like myself, that's a cool day at the office. Um, that's a really, really fun, interesting interview. Um, a rare chance to talk to some folks. You know, Brad and, and Leo, they don't do that many interviews. So I was very, very honored that they, uh, they agreed to sit down with me. And um, I'm really happy with the way it went. I think you're going to really dig it. That comes out um, next week, uh, just in time for the release of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I also sat down with Quentin Tarantino. Yes, I can tease it. He is the guest on next week's Happy, Sad, Confused. Um, and that is a fantastic conversation with one of the smartest big brains in the history of cinema. So uh, well worth your time. Um, another big, important filmmaker coming at you next week, Quentin Tarantino. So, uh, and, and by the way, the movie's great. Once Upon a Time uh, in Hollywood, 
one of the best of the year will surely be at or near the top of my top 10 list. Uh, it is, if you love Tarantino, you're going to dig it. Trust me. Um, beyond that headed off to comic-con this week. Yes. Another year, another adventure in San Diego where I'll be talking to a thousand people and trying to stay coherent and upright for a few days. As I talk to the casts of all the big movies and TV shows that are visiting comic-con this year, uh, it's going to be exhausting and crazy and, and hopefully a lot of fun for both me and for you guys, if you're following along. So all those interviews are going to be up on MTV's uh, MTV News's YouTube page and, and, social media accounts. So follow along. If you can't make it out to San Diego, at least follow along with me on my misadventures at Comic-Con another year. That's all the preamble for today. Let's get into the main event. This is Ari Aster, writer and director of Midsommar and Hereditary. Uh, remember to review, rate, and subscribe to Happy Sad Confused. Spread the good word. And here is Ari Aster. Ari Aster has entered my office. Um, I was just saying, big fan of your work, a big fan of this new film. Um, and as I understand it, are you sharing a part of your birthday with me today? Oh, yeah. It is my birthday. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I should have, like, the... Uh, the uh, the Midsommar, uh, like mural behind me of like like a, a cake eating Ari Aster, like just some kind of self referential um, birthday horror show for you. I should have brought it from my my house. Your own collection? Yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> I've got plenty of photos of me. I'm sure eating cake just all over my wall. I'm sure. Uh, well, congratulations on the new film. So there's a lot to talk about. Um, First, I mean, I, I know from the sequence of events, this has been a much different kind of experience for you than, than Hereditary, because by the time Hereditary kind of got all the, the think pieces and all the, the reception, you were knee-deep in, in this film. Yeah. So has this been, in some ways, more enjoyable? Is this more of the, the, the way it, you imagined the process of releasing a movie to be? Uh, in some ways, I, f I feel like I'm... I don't know, like chemically incapable of enjoying anything, but, um, <laughs> well, you're welcome here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's 45 minutes of self-loathing from two people here, guys strap in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, if anything, it's been an opportunity for me to, um, kind of, uh, engage more fully with the release of the film and with, um, yeah the reception and get like more defensive and really, more, yeah. <laughs> I get, I, um, well, the, you know, there's something about, especially making a film because you're relying on so many forces out, outside of yourself, yeah. um, that you can only ever really get so close to whatever you're intending. And I, and, and so for me, every time the, the, the feeling that comes up is yeah. like, oh, like I, I just want to go right back and do it again and do it yeah. and get closer, even get even closer. And so, right, right, right. So the, so the release is always kind of, there's something depressing about the release. Well, it um, can't live up to whatever, whatever's in your brain. I don't even yeah. know if there is something in your brain, an idealized version of how this plays out. The reception? Yeah. N no, I mean, may maybe, it's it's really more it's I I guess there's an idea about how people will uh, decipher it um, because because you, you know I mean look you're self aware enough to know these first two features 
are not going to be everyone's cup of tea. They are of de- they are divisive films. They are provocative films. Yeah. They are by design. By design. Yeah. So to think otherwise, to think that it's going to be like Avengers Endgame, yeah, <laughs> is, is is not the right path. But like, but to me, this is a, the optimal like reception oh, yeah. oh, for no. both of these films. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I, I feel extremely fortunate. Yeah. Um, and of course, like the they they are by design, yeah. Uh, like polarizing, kind of they they draw a line of sand and like you know plant themselves on on one side of it. Yes. Um, uh, and I think yeah, I think there's something there's like a, a the, the punkish part of me that's like writing that movie and yep. then like directing that movie. Yep. And then when it releases, there's like you don't want to admit it, but there's a part of you that just like, wants oh, like everybody. Yeah, everybody like, like me. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Never mind the <laughs> can't you all just <laughs> just team together and just say you love me? Exactly. But but now I'm kind of gearing well not gearing up, but I'm I'm deciding what the next project will be, and they're right. all equally kind of like. This is you what know, you are. This they is, are, this they is you. are a middle finger. They're all, it's like, which middle finger do I want to present next? <laughs> well, it's funny because like, and we'll get to this, but like, um, it took me this long to go back to your shorts. Like I hadn't seen your shorts before, uh, getting ready for this podcast. And for anybody that thinks like, oh, this is like a, he's just becoming like a fucked up filmmaker. And these are just, this is a new, like this, is, he's been doing it for, from the start. And if anything, those might be more, um, subversive, insane, uh, provocative uh, works. So this is a theme that will run clearly throughout your entire body of work. It would seem safe to say. Maybe unless I one day just just make a grow up Adam Sandler <laughs> Grown Ups three. Just yeah, to- <laughs> I mean that. I, w- I would love to make Grown Ups three. That'd be great. <laughs> so, yeah, but you have to really just pay the bills. Hey, look, I love me some Adam Sandler. Um, so so. Um, well, talk to me a little bit about. Okay, so you, when you walked in, I asked you. Uh, from what I gather, you're you're a New Yorker now. You you actually were born in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, did you? But you didn't you didn't come of age here. Well, um, no, I didn't. I didn't come of age. Uh, I I was here until I was around seven. Okay. Then I lived in England for a few years, okay. and then I guess I came of age in New Mexico, Got in it. Santa Fe. Uh, spent. Uh, a long time there, uh, went, you know, junior high, high school. Um, and, uh, I think, I think like the end of elementary school and then, um, college. Do you consider that home? If someone asks you what, where you're from, do you say New Mexico or do you say New York or England? I, I consider myself a New Yorker, yeah. but I, but I think, I think I probably am equally New Mexican. I, right. I don't. I don't know. When I lived there, I I didn't love it um, because I kind of I loved the city, yeah. and then um, and then I liked England, and then all of a sudden I was you know in the desert, and it felt like a declension to me. And so yeah. I I really didn't like New Mexico while I was there. My parents are still there, and whenever I go out there, I like it a lot more. Um, and right. so I think the older I get the more nostalgic I feel about the place. And I, 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 I really like Santa Fe now, but, um, but when I was growing up there, I was going, yeah. s- I was just, I was like going stir crazy. Um, it, it makes sense. I mean, given obviously what you've made your life's work and like what, where your sensibilities are like to have like all the, the trappings of New York torn away from you as a seven year old Yeah, <laughs> for as, as lovely as I'm sure New Mexico is, it's not, it's a different, it's a different thing. And, and, um, clearly, 
I mean, like, are your first, your first memories of going to the movies must be here in New York. Like, were there... They were that? here in New York. They're especially in England, because that's when I was, like, really fully... I, where my obsession was, like, you know, it had fully formed by yeah. the time I was living in England. And then, you know, in, and then New Mexico, I was always kind of bemoaning how slow it is there. Mm. And... Um, just like a, the lack of action, yeah. but, um, and also I was, you know, I was like a fat kid who, who had a debilitating stutter. Got it. And so I, you know, I, I think ultimately it was very good for me as far as my trajectory is concerned because I just stayed at home all the time watching movies and reading books, um, and then writing screenplays. Got it. I, I, I guess there are a lot of filmmakers who kind of grew up making super eight movies, but I didn't have the confidence to, to ask anybody to help me make movies. So I ultimately just, you were writing in your room. I was just writing scripts in my room, um, and going to like screenwriting conferences, um, from like, like, you know, from the age of 12 or 13. So was, was there a great love of movies in your family? Was there like beyond just every family watches movies, obviously, but was there an inordinate obsession with film outside of you? Yeah, well, my mom, my 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 mom is a poet, and she used to be a visual artist. She mm. is a visual artist. She's just she she moved kind of exclusively to poetry recently, mm. or not recently, for the last twenty years. Mm. Um, and uh, my dad's a drummer, um, a jazz drummer. He used to be an R and B drummer, um, and uh, and I I went to the movies with them a lot. Uh, my mom and I are pretty aligned in our tastes. I'm sure, I'm sure my taste, uh, was informed to a large degree by hers. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, it, it was this thing where, you know, at every Friday I would, I would go to the video store and I could rent a couple videos mm -hmm. and then we'd like see a movie on Friday. Um, and if, and if I, and if the movie, wasn't good, like that ruined my week. <laughs> I was like, I wasted my movie. Which, um, was she exposing you to films that were beyond your years a little bit? Like, like I mean, that that seems to be something that often happens for for kids, especially people that end up in this industry that become that that really become obsessed with it. Is uh, they see a, a David Lynch movie maybe a couple years too young, etc. Yeah, I mean, I that's definitely the case. I. Uh... I, I mean, some of my favorite films are films that I saw with her pretty young. Like I saw The Piano Teacher in mm. theaters when I was like, must have been 15. Um, uh, saw the, the big ones were like Mulholland Drive, Songs from the Second Floor. Um, the ones that I saw in theaters, like Dogville. Um, oh, wow. And then, uh, and then, and then there were just a lot of things that I discovered on my own, yeah. you know, um, from a, you know, an early age. And some of them were things that I, I definitely saw too early. Like I've talked about seeing the cook, the thief, his wife and her right, lover, right. which like destroyed me. Um, and, uh, and you know, kind of became obsessed with Martin Scorsese from like the age of like 10 and just like, you know, wanting to be him. Um, I was going to say, was that, the, was that the first filmmaker that like you went down the rabbit hole and just sort of really dove deep in into the he, filmography? He was, yeah, yeah, he he was the the big one for for me. He was, I mean, the, there were so many when I was young. Sure. Like you know, I mean, kind of all the usual suspects when I first yeah. 
wanted to be a filmmaker and it was, I don't know, Scorsese, the Coen brothers, you know, um, yeah. Hitchcock and, you know, Kubrick and all, you know, all those guys. Um, and then, uh, and then there were, you know, it's just, it, there, there's like that, this long circuitous road you take. Well, one begets five others, right? Yeah, and then exactly. you hear that like their five influences and then suddenly you're in, exactly. you're, you're, you're in a world of cinema as opposed to the New yeah. York filmmakers, et cetera. And then you disown certain people early mm-hmm. on that you like rediscover later. Sure. Like Spielberg is very cool to like yeah. kind of, uh, yeah, hate, exactly. hate as a kid. And then you come back to him and you realize, oh, he's actually the best. Yeah. I feel like I've got, I've gone back and forth on De Palma like five different times in my life. Yeah. Well, De Palma is a fascinating case because like there are certain things that you can like kind of never embrace about him. And yes. there, and, and there are certain things that like you, you, you can dismiss them, but yeah. like to your, but like to your peril because right. he is like, you know, who does a set piece better than Brian De Palma? Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, it was, it was unfortunate because like by the time I started doing this, you know, he, you know, he's not making the best work of his career in the last 10 years. I, I, no. I'll say that. No. <laughs> um, and like, by the time I was talking to him and he's always been like an irascible, like tough guy. And oh, like, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and by the time like I interviewed him, it was for like that movie, like redacted, which is not a great movie. I and know. like, yeah. uh, <laughs> and it's just like, you want, yeah. Cause like, I mean, he's whatever. I could talk endlessly about him. I'm sure you saw the, the Noah Baumbach doc on him a couple years ago. I did. Ago. Yeah. yeah amazing. And, and, and Jake Paltrow, right? right yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it, and it's just it's so much fun to listen to him talk, and you know, I mean, yeah, he's made a lot of weird ones, but what did Pauline Kael say that like about um, Bonfire of the Vanities that yeah. like it's a terrible movie that only like you know the most talented person could have made, you right. know, that like he makes like only a genius could have made. Exactly. I'm, I'm literally that. I'm literally reading uh, Devil's Candy right now. Have you ever read that book? That's like the making of Bonfire of the Vanities. Oh, no, I haven't oh, read it. Oh, you should check. I'm about halfway through it right now. It's a, it's a very famous, like uh, Julie Salmon, I think was the author, who had like unprecedented access, like total access to the production. Yeah. And of course, it's infamously one of the most like a huge debacle from start to finish. Oh my gosh. It's a good, it's a good one. Well, um, and, and not long yeah. after that, he made... Carlito's Way, which is Carlito's which is so such much. a great movie. Such yeah. a great movie. <laughs> such a great movie. Um, so, so this early stuff you're writing as a teenager. Um, I guess my question is like, you, you know, you mentioned like your sensibility was very close to your mom's. Like, are your parents and friends and family when they see your films now, are they like shocked or are they like, oh yeah, that's that's Ari. That's that's what he was into. That's the kind of stuff that he would pursue. My my parents or my family? Well. No, my, my, there's nothing strange about it for my family. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is the kind of thing I've been <laughs> doing since I was this. a kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they, yeah, I, I think they find it, you know, more or less kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I feel like most people who know me and know my sense of humor. Yeah. It, it, it all makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay, so, so jumping ahead, uh, you end up at AFI, which must have been a, a, an important experience to kind of the transition from cinephile to professional. Right. Um, so like before that, like, like I guess bring me up to speed. Like how did you end up at AFI and what is AFI? Is AFI the defining experience that really gives you the tools to make this your living? Yeah, well, for me it was. <clears throat> because for me, you know, I... I did, I studied film in undergrad at 
a school called the College of Santa Fe, which doesn't actually exist anymore. Um, it's been it's been it 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 physically exists, but it traded names. I, I don't know what I don't absorbed know what it into is. something or modify, yeah, okay. it's something else now. It's um, the Ari Aster Institute for what the what the fuck happened? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was a liberal arts school. Got it. Um, or or as I like to call it. A, a, a finger painting school. So I, I spent, I spent four years learning to finger paint and then I went to one of those. Yeah. And you know, you just, you beg people to help you on the weekends, yes. make your movie and, yeah. and you don't really have a crew and you're sort of doing everything yourself, Yep. which doesn't actually teach you how to direct. No. Um, if anything, it teaches you how to like produce. Right. Right. Um, and so, uh, AFI was great because, um, all the fellows, they call them fellows, are, are in certain disciplines. And, yeah. and I was a directing discipline. I, I was a director there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and do they, so you do, have do, do they have you, do they expose, is, is that one of those programs where they expose you to the other aspects or when you go in as a director, are you like, you're there to be a no, director? You, you, you go in as a director and you, you, you are there to be a director. You, um, you have to, First AD, you know, uh, um, someone else two, yeah. two projects for every cy- cy- cycle. Uh, it's it, 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 it's a two year program. The first year you make three cycle films, these three shorts. Yeah. So it's it's it, the year has been split up into thirds, um, and every and the quality of every cycle film kind of dictates how your work is perceived and who you get to work with mm. because the best people the best people, the, 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 the people who make the films that, you know, the most people like, sure. um, tend to attract the other people sure. that are the most attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that was very useful because I mean, you make a cycle film, then you play it for the whole school then you have to sit on a stage as the whole school like just rips you apart, um, and uh, which is really good um, uh, and valu- valuable in a lot of ways. Um, and then you spend the second year making your thesis film, um, and and that um, for you became the strange thing about the Johnsons. That was the strange thing about the Johnsons, or uh, as it was originally titled, like Father, like Fun. Um, <laughs> okay, so, so for those that don't know, and I'm 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 a latecomer to this too. This is it's a it's a, for a short film. I mean, it's a thirty minute film. It's like yeah. it's it's pretty ambitious. Um, the premise uh, is basically a, a son who is molesting his own dad, who's who's manipulating and 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 abusing and uh, sexually abusing his own his own father, right. which. Um, Obviously a comedy, uh, <laughs> but it, it does feel like it's, it almost seems to me like it's a brainstorm session where it's like, okay, let me just think of the most like inconceivable fucked up idea like that, like yeah, you could possibly imagine, let's see if there's a story there. Is that somewhat close to what you, I mean, like how much of it was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be a provocateur and see where it leads me. I mean, that's pretty much what it was. I, I, you know, a- AFI is sort of perceived as like the industry school right. and they are preparing you for the industry. Yes. Um, and, uh, and when you, you first, you know, kind of when you first come in, um, 
they sit you down and they play some of the thesis films that they're the most proud of. And they were all very, very like well-made, solid films, but they all kind of felt like Oscar movies. Like mm. they were, like they were just very strategic and like, you know, triumph of the human spirit. Yes. Politically correct to like a stifling degree. Yes. Um, and, um, and Which, if anything, sounds like goaded you to go it, for even further. Like, it just goaded like, me, and I was just like, "What? What's the worst thing I could do here?" Right. Um, and then, you know, I turned that into an exercise to see how uh, compelling and palatable I can make that. Right. And so it was. It started as an exercise, and then, and um, and you know, and, and and was was fun. There was, there was a lot of opposition. Um, but but ultimately, I did get to make it there. So to to, to credit, they actually to, to AFI's credit, yeah. I, I I was able to make the strange thing with the Johnsons, aka like father like fun. <laughs> now I'll never be able to think of it in the uh, except in that title. Um, I also watched uh, was it Munchausen uh, right. was um, fascinating in, in many respects as well. In that it's um, clearly a riff off of. Pixar shorts and specifically the, the the famous classic Up montage, which is so beautiful and and it's a really beautifully made film. Like what you've made is like this like silent montage that is, um, despite appearances, is also like wholly subversive underneath and is really about a mom trying to uh, cling to her own son in the worst way possible. I guess. Right. <laughs> um, also has Rachel Brosnahan in it, who you, you had in a couple of your shorts. How did that yeah. collaboration, friendship, whatever happen? Uh, well, I, I first worked with her on Munchausen, and I had cast Liam Aiken, who was friends with her, and, and so he, he recommended her, and right. we pulled her on, and it was a smaller part. Um, but she was so good that then I wanted to write something for her, and I, I wrote a, a short called basically for her. I saw that one, yeah. Which, um, which we were able to do, uh, we shot that over a day and a half. So wow. there was a day and a half shoot, uh, day, day and a half long shoot, and, yeah. uh, and then she was in New York the next week um, on Broadway uh, doing The Big Knife with Bobby Cannavale. Wow. Um, and, uh, and so... Yeah, I haven't worked with her since, but we're good friends, and I'm really excited to see everything she's doing. And she's inevitable that you're going to do a, a, an episode of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. That's that's something I would want to see. Yeah, I mean, they're really they're <laughs> they're banging my door down. Like you never know. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you know, we, we've I think by now, if people are listening. They they have. They're, I think they're starting to get a sense of your. Um, the comedic side of your brain, like the subversive side of your brain, which like is funny because when Midsommar started to screen and as somebody that was clearly engaged in it, you were probably aware of this. Like there was this debate, like, wait, how much are we supposed to be laughing at this? Right. Um, and I, I saw it again over the weekend and like, I don't know, like any film that, that has, uh, like the line, I think I ate one of her pubic hairs <laughs> delivered in that, in that way is a, is a comedy in <laughs> some respect for me. If you're not getting that, then you're missing something. Uh, <laughs> were you, um, I guess, were you aware? What, what, I mean, we talked about this kind of at the start, but I'm curious, like, what was your interpretation of like how people received the film at first on a, in terms of just like how comedic it was or not? Did you care how people, do you care how people interpret it in that way? Do you, what? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I find it funny. 
<laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, it's, I, I mean, it's interesting to see what people find funny and what people don't find funny. I thought that a lot of hereditary was funny. Um, it's, it's a little bit more buried maybe. Yeah. Um, because it is a heavy movie. Yeah. Um, but for me, part of the pleasure of that film is absurd stuff being like hanging really like heavy weight onto really absurd things yes. that you can't even really see just how, you know, zonky it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, what happens to Charlie in Hereditary? Like, I find that kind of funny. Um, it's, it's, you know, there's something kind of ridiculous about it, but it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's awful. Well, it's uh, funny when I, when I, and I've seen Hereditary a couple times too, and every time I've watched it, I, I tend to somehow, and what this says about me, I tend to watch it through like Gabriel Burns, uh, character's yeah. perspective. And it's like, that movie should be called like the, unluckiest husband and father ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I feel so, for that guy and what he's going through. It's, it, that's a tragic comedy right there. Yeah. I mean, you could say the same thing about Jack Rayner and Midsommar. He's just right. Except yeah. he's kind of an asshole. He's kind of an asshole, but yeah, he's, he's kind of a dick, but um, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think most of us have, you know, been on either side of that line. Fair uh, of course we are totally aligned with, Florence Pugh's character, so he is, for all intents and purposes, the antagonist and the foil. Right. And and so the the movie is, yes. You know, it's it's all it's all kind of gearing up for a, a certain kind of catharsis. But yeah, um, you, you've talked about so this is you've talked about this in terms of a. a well, actually, let, let me start with Hereditary, and then we'll get into more Midsummer stuff. So okay, so Hereditary, the first feature, what like a ten million dollar budget, something like that. Do I have that? Uh, that, that was. A, Really, about six. Wow, okay. Yeah. So, is that a big moment, like, first day on set, like, $6 million budget, Tony Collette, Gabriel Byrne, like, a really nice cast of people. Although, a lot of your crew, I noticed, was, like, first features as well. So, that's, like, a, you got a blend of of, of uh, veterans and, and newbies. Um, is that, was that, was there a sense of, like, this is what I've been gearing up for, this is where I'm meant to be, or, like, holy shit, like, I'm not ready for this, what the fuck have I gotten myself well, into? Before before you're shooting, there's a, a feeling of like, holy shit, am I ready for this? Yeah. And then once you're on set, you just have to like it. Uh, it it time's going by so fast. It's it's all about yeah. It's just, just you have to you have to finish your day. Yes. And so from the minute you start, it's just a sprint. Um, and so it, it it's no longer something that you can kind of be in your head about. Right. Um, and. Uh, I mean, it was amazing because, you know, it, I I kind of held off for a long time. Uh, Hereditary was like the 10th script I had written. And uh, and then I wrote a couple more after that, you know. And, and uh, because, you know, while I was trying to get Hereditary sure. made. And, um, and everything I was writing was just too big to do on, a, on like a, a really small, right. modest budget. Um, and so... I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to do one of these movies the right way. Yeah. And so I, you know, with hereditary, I was given the resources to do it the right way, which is an amazing gift. And, and I don't even know how it happened because you know, who, you know, who hangs that much money on, on sort of an unproven right. 
Well, again, you'll get the shorts and you can see it in, in, in those as well. Um, well, and that, and that was, there were years where I was just thinking like, what am I doing with these shorts? Like, wh why am I doing this? Yeah. And then, and then, you know, by the time Hereditary was getting going, I realized, okay, I, 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 because they didn't play many festivals, you know, right. two of them played the New York Film Festival, but none of them got into Sundance. Yeah. You know? It was, it was, it was, you know, kind of a, a depressing slog of, of putting my, you know, putting everything into these short films and, yeah. and they're very hard to make because you're, everybody's doing favors. So they're dragging sure. their feet and you're, you know, you're, you're making films out of pocket and, and, uh, and so there was this feeling of like, what, what is the point? Um, given that they were, you know, not really going anywhere. Right. Um, Johnson's had a, had a weird life online. Right, the viral life. <laughs> Yeah. But by the time we were making Hereditary, it's like, okay, well, so this was a long, circuitous road yeah. to this, but, but you know, they, but no regrets. How much are, so I, I've heard you talk about this a little bit in respect to Midsommar, and I'm sure you were on Hereditary as well, but like, how much are you thinking about genre and genre expectations when you're, when you're either writing or directing? I mean, like for something like Hereditary, are you thinking in terms of like I'm making The Exorcist or I'm making ordinary people? <laughs> and like yeah. how much are you thinking about like what the audience is thinking when they're sitting in a in a theater? Well, Hereditary was an interesting case because I wrote it after I had tried to get a few other features going. Mm -hmm. There's one film called Eddington that's set in New Mexico that I still really want to make. Um, probably not next, um, but I thought that was going to be my first film. And it was this, you know, kind of ensemble noir, kind of contemporary western dark comedy. Okay. Um, and I spent a long time trying to get that going, uh, and it almost went like three different times. Um, and there were two other features that I was trying to get going, and I finally was like so tired of you know not getting there that I I. I began to think strategically, which I, I had never done before. And right. I thought, well, a horror movie would likely be easier to get made. And I love horror, so right. why not? And, um, and a showcase for a, like a name actor. Like, I'm sure Tony was attracted by that kind of a character. That's probably some, uh, part of the algorithm, too. I, well, I, sort of. I mean, that, that, uh, that occurred to me after I had written it, really. But for me, it was just, um, you know, I like horror movies. Why haven't I written one? And then everything I write is kind of fatalistic and dark and bleak. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be so hard for me to fit that construct around it, what I'm inter interested in. Exactly. That, those things, you know, which are otherwise, you know, kind of a deterrent to financiers and audiences uh, right. becomes a virtue in yes, this genre. Yes, and yes. so, so hereditary was, you know, two things. It was, it was an exercise, me wanting to write a horror movie. Yep. Um, that I would like, and then it was also extremely personal, and I was putting a lot of my own life and a lot of my own feelings like into that movie, um, and so it it was a matter of you know how do I marry these two things in a way that kind of in a way that honors both yes. all the way through, um, and uh, and. You know, it's funny, Midsommar is the only film I've ever written kind of uh, on commission. You know, I, I was approached by a Swedish production company right. that read Hereditary. They wanted 
they wanted to make a folk horror movie set in Sweden. Right. And they came to me saying, we want you to do with, with Hereditary what, what, you know, with... We wanted we we want you to do with this yes. what you did with Hereditary, yes. and so at I had never kind of taken a job before, and I wasn't really interested in it. I just wanted to like do my thing. Yes, but I was going through a breakup at the time. Really wanted to write a breakup movie, um, and as an exercise, I imagined like what would a breakup movie married to a folk horror film look like, and it 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 like opened up the breakup movie for me to the point where. I really wanted to write it, yeah. and I actually didn't even want to take the job. But but I but because I had because like the movie kind of formed in my head. Yeah. I yeah. The I princi- like I had you were to. against the principle of taking the job on assignment. Yeah. But 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 what, wait, this is actually opening up a whole world of ideas for me. And Ex- exactly, and and luckily they gave they you know they gave me all the freedom in the world, and yeah. and they really allowed me to make my film, and and. Um, there weren't other stipulations like, and uh, the antagonist needs to end up inside of a bear at some point. <laughs> no, I mean what what I brought to them was this. That was I I brought to them this like, I I said like I want to make a breakup movie that like happens to be a folk horror film. Yeah, um, and it's like in the close of a folk of a folk horror film, and I came to them yeah. a week later with the entire story, with the prologue, and then you know, and then just everything that happens to each of them and then the ending. Um, I, I didn't quite have the, the bear suit, um, (laughs) but I did have, you know, um, one character sentencing another character to death. Right. Um, and I don't want to be too spoiler. Well, let me, let me put out the disclaimer now. We're, we're starting, we're, we're well enough into this that we can talk about some spoilers, I think for, for people out there. Um, and I, you know, I, I will say you, you know, you've said this is at least inspired by a bad breakup you went through. It must have been a pretty bad breakup. <laughs> I've seen this film. Well, it was a painful breakup because it was a, you know, it was a long-term relationship Got it. ending. Um, now, did you give a heads yeah. up to the significant other that you were writing this? Like, have they seen this? How, are you in touch with them? Are they? Well, I, I'm, you know, I, I really want to respect her privacy. Sure. And, and so like, I, I've, I've been not talking about it at all, but I will say that, um, it didn't just end. Like it kind of started up again. And then, and like, by the time it started up again, like the script was written <laughs> and then, and then it did end, you know, after that. Um, so, so you're saying there's a chance for a sequel. It's she's enough, aware. That's the, that's yeah. <laughs> she's aware, but at the same time, yeah. I, you know, uh, um, the characters are not in any way surrogates of she or I, I put a lot of myself into Danny, but it was very important to me that people be able to relate to Christian, even if they don't want to kind of relate to his situation. Um, so yeah, but I, I do, you know, I I mean, I wonder, you know, (laughs) I, lo- I love that uh, you mentioned the other day among the influences. It didn't even occur to me, but uh, you mentioned uh, Albert Brooks's Modern Romance. That's <laughs> one of them, which I haven't seen in a while. But it's, I mean, I'm a, you know, as you might expect, I'm a huge Albert Brooks fan. He's my hero. I, I mean, he's one of my heroes. Defending Your Life is, I think, the best romantic comedy ever made. Um, I, I might, I might agree with you. And I love that, like. I don't know if you noticed, and I think you tweeted about it too, but when Rip Torn passed away last week, suddenly everybody came out of the woodwork, and I didn't even realize it was like, oh, everybody appreciates that performance in that film as much as me because yeah. they, as, I mean, I knew Larry Sanders was going to come up, but him in defending your life is just next yeah. level, which is where, I mean, like, I mean, that was pre Larry Sanders, you know? Yeah. 
Um, and it's, uh, it's just, it's the funniest, the funniest, like supporting performance in any movie ever. He's, he's so amazing. Rip Rip Torn was just amazing. There's nobody like him. Meryl in that too. And they're all, yeah, they're all just fantastic. And then he kind of plays the same character in Larry Sanders. This is true. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Kind of the most, uh, just like the, the the best sycophant in the world, like yes. the most, the most like, uh, like oh, the most adorable I, sycophant in in the movies. I wish I could remember verbatim, but the exchange in defending your life of like uh, um, of <laughs> when Albert is asking him what what were you doing, and he keeps saying you wouldn't understand, and he finally ex- says says this like non sequitur like gibberish, and Albert just says I don't understand. And then when he's eating the thing, he's eating like. He's eating his food. And, oh yeah, yeah, yeah! And, it and looks people horrible. in Judgment it's City disgusting. have like, the best food in the world. He's like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't like it. And he says, and it Albert tastes a little like horse shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> Too good. And now Albert is tweeting at you. You've made it, Mr. Albert Brooks is a uh, is a close personal friend, apparently, via social media. De- de- definitely not. But I, <laughs> I, I, but not for lack of trying. Do you feel? I, but in, in all seriousness, I mean, I've talked to filmmakers that have been talking about your work the last couple of years. Like, I'm sure you've. Had film have filmmakers reached out to you in, in email and in, in meetings or whatever to kind of like do you feel kind of welcome to a club to some degree? Um, you know, I think I have the personality where if I if I were standing in the club wearing the member's jacket, right, I would be, <laughs> you know, waiting to get in. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I some people have reached out. And I've made, you know, friends with certain filmmakers in, in yeah. the community, I guess. Um, and it's it's exciting. It I, I I haven't totally processed it, and that's also because Hereditary did come out, and I was, as you said, I was in Hungary, yeah. on the ground, prepping Midsommar, and so I wasn't able to like experience that because I was already like in the water and the water's up to my nose and I, I'm just trying to survive this new film. And so this is the first time I've been able to kind of take anything in. But at the same time, we finished this film a week before it was released. Right. So this is literally the first time to exhale like this. Exactly. And I'm doing press. I'm doing press when I'm not, I, I haven't made peace with what, with what the movie is because you've just finished it. And anybody who makes films knows that, you don't finish no. it. You're, you are ejected from the room. <laughs> um, and so it takes some time to like come to terms with that. And so I'm starting to come to terms now after I've done all the press, right. after I've said all the things I regret saying, cause I didn't have time to think about it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and you know, for, for me, the, the thing that I'm starting to get my head around, which is, you know, the dream come true is that I'm, I'm making films. I spent 10 years trying so desperately to make films and I spent my entire adolescence and childhood like dreaming of it and, 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 and thinking about what that might be. And, and, um, and it looks like I'll have the opportunity to make a third film. Yes. And so I'm, I'm extremely fortunate and grateful and Yeah, yeah. And, and on your, you know, budgets withstanding like on your own terms like it seems like you know in a certain framework you can probably make the kind of movie you want at least the next couple ter- t- times at bat like you've got a couple more times at bat definitely uh and you're it's probably in this for the long haul i mean but it's um 
Yeah, it's it's it, I, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, as much as you can enjoy this, you should start to enjoy this because <laughs> it's it's um, well deserved. Um, here's a, a spoilery, absurd question: um, Do you own a Will Poulter face mask? Do you have? Do you, who I, I, owns that? I wish I did. I I don't own anything. I don't own any of the miniatures from Hereditary. Um, there are. Yeah, there are no props, no... Uh, there's nothing. So where did, that, where, did, where did that go? Where did the, the Will Poulter approximation of his face go? And don't forget the necropants, his, uh, <laughs> his skinned penis and legs. Um, well, that, obviously, yeah. Will kept, just yeah, those, in case. Yeah, those, those I might be wearing right now. <laughs> See, I was going to say, uh, this but, is his birthday costume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, my birthday suit. Um, but, uh, you don't want to go to an Ari Aster birthday party, guys, no, trust me. No. It's not- no, unless you want to leave much lighter. Um, but, uh, um, so we don't yeah, know where it is. I, okay. No, I, I okay. don't know where it, I, th- I, I imagine they're in a warehouse somewhere. I, I know that, that, that Millie Shapiro has been trying to get her head from hereditary oh and, and, and some, you know, there, there, there are monsters out there who just w- won't give it to her. Oh no. Are you worried about running into um, Alexander Skarsgård, one of the most notable Swedes? He's a New Yorker. He might just punch you, like if he sees you on the street. Like, how how is your standing in Sweden right now, as far as we know? I mean, I you know, I've I've got my fake mustache for when I le- <laughs> leave the house. Um, and has uh, has it been released in Sweden? Is there any? It, it has been released in Sweden, and I think so far the reception's been okay. okay. I mean, Swedes you. T- tend to have a pretty good sense of humor about themselves. Yeah. There are there are cer- certainly some Swedes who won't. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I I I I wonder what the overall reception is. I I I'm getting some vague word back that it's it's doing well there and that uh, and that the Swedes find it funny. I, so I would just good. be aware if you're like if you're invited to like some kind of like special festival there. Like yeah. under mysterious circumstances, and you get off the plane, and suddenly things take a turn. Like I wouldn't put it past them to, again, you ending up in that bear suit. I mean, if it happened, I would deserve it, given that I should, <laughs> of all people, exactly. I as should you, be. As I you're should being be burned. The last words is, yeah. I should have known. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of respect this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so of the. Uh, you were saying before, I mean, do you have, like, of the 10 or 12, like, scripts in different forms, are there $100 million budget ideas in there? Like, how how big are the big ideas in there? Uh, there's one sci-fi satire, mm-hmm. sort of an ensemble satire. Um, satire being a very dirty word. I should find another word for it um, if I'm going to get a green take light. Take it out. <laughs> People love <satire>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, that that crowd that, pleaser that that yeah. that will be expensive. Yeah. Um, otherwise, they're all they're in the... they're all bigger than uh, bigger than some. <laughs> Okay, and okay. smaller. He doesn't want to limit his own budget. He doesn't want to say it's like I can make him offer ten million because then they're only going to give you ten million. We no, want to. I mean, I made the I made Midsummer for ten, and I yeah. I and that was so hard. It was a tough production. Everything I've read sounds I, like this was, was about the limit for you. It was logistically the hardest thing I've ever experienced, and it, I I I would like for every movie I make from here on out yeah. to be more comfortable than that. <laughs> 
So does are you going to be tempted by like IP at all of like like are you going to even take meetings with the the Marvel DC Star Wars? Do you like do you, I mean does the kid in you like want to take that meeting just to like hear out people that I mean that that's nice to even be thought of in that company? Yeah, I mean and and I I've received some really enticing cool offers and um, I certainly want to hear what the offers are. Yeah. Um, I I am self-generating. I have so many films I want to make that I've made, right. or that I've written rather, sure. um, that are very vivid in my head, and I just want to like put execute them out. it. I yeah, wanna, yeah. I just want to make them. Um, but as we know from the Midsommar you know, experience, look, someone has a a yeah. framework. Maybe it's married with an existing idea. Maybe it ignites some new idea. Exactly. You know, and and that and that also kind of happened. But that also did that did happen while I was really struggling to get something made and I needed some money. Mm. But I, I, but of course like that ended up being something that felt very close to me. And the yeah. reason I made it second was not because I owed them that it was it, like it, it, it grew into something that I felt very close to and I really wanted to make. Right. Um, and I felt like I just had it in me, um, right. to make next. Uh, but you know, I, I mean, you know, I'm starting this production company with uh, with Lars Knudsen, right. um, and you're going to do some TV, as I understand it, too. Is yeah, that I'm, do? I'm interested in TV, and uh, and I'm excited about supporting projects I believe in, and you know, I I I'm especially excited about making movies that shouldn't exist. And yes, so, yes, yes. So um, I, you know, I I'm I'm I, I'm I'm excited about what that will be, yeah. and. And I so never say never. Sure. Definitely want to uh, look at everything that comes my way, um, but it'll take a lot to sort of pull me away from these projects that are, that are sort of on the tip of my tongue yeah. that are, I'm I'm ready to make. Well, um, and as a fellow cinephile, I'm sure you're as aware as anybody. You'll just see like filmmakers that you've respected be lured into payday is a horrible term, but like, yeah. but, but, but those opportunities, which you can't begrudge anybody to like no. get to play with those tools. Um, but sometimes they can really derail a, a trajectory for somebody. So I'm sure you're as yeah. cognizant of that as, as anybody, but there are, I mean, so many of my favorite films are studio movies. Well, that, I mean, you, you see know. what Nolan went from memento to working on the largest scale possible and he's married. There are, there are ways yeah. to make it work. No, I mean absolutely. There, yeah. there, there are so many examples. I mean, yeah. yes, you can easily point to, yeah, like disasters, and sure. you can you can point to you know like a, a total flowering right. of potential. Um, so, and then you look at like, you know, and, uh, don't let your head explode too much. But like you look at something like the Coens, who I can see you kind of working in that, in terms of your comedic sensibility, like, and they have pretty much consistently Hudsucker Proxy, notwithstanding, like worked on a similar budget level for 25, 30 years. And it's just like, they're able yeah. to execute brilliant vision after brilliant vision on their own terms. And I mean, and I would, argue with. I would never, ever, ever liken myself to them in any way. But I, but I will say that they are for me the model. Like yeah. the model, I, they they are for me, like they're they're the best filmmakers. Yeah, working, the most consistently working. like yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, and and yeah, I mean, I I I really love this like sort of like chaotic design as, mm -hmm. uh, of their career as well, where you make. No Country for Old Men, yeah. which is perfect, but then, and then you make 
burn after reading yeah. and then you make what is for me their best film which is a serious man See, but, this is you why know, you're, Jew, always, so. you're, you're welcome here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have the same reference points as, yeah, as, as if you haven't been able to tell already. Um, we haven't even talked about Death Becomes Her, which I saw you like cite as your Death. best of the 90s, and that's one of my favorites, too. De- Death Becomes Her is just so incredible and so funny. Um, yeah. It's it, it, it's missing a third act. <laughs> right. But it is, but I... I only want that third act because the first two yeah. are like the just as good as anything I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, the, that, the sequence that's my Sydney, favorite Zemeckis. Yeah, I think so too. The se- sequence with like Bruce Willis um, <laughs> and Sidney Pollack as the Doctor and uh, the bone protruding out of Meryl Streep's uh, shoulder is one of my favorites in like any film. <laughs> I, it's it, it's amazing. Also, just the uh, the uh, the the camera in that movie is like so efficient. So it's such an economical film. It's so funny. Yep. Um, that for me is when he kind of peaked, just as like a, a just a, yeah. a, as like a master. Um, but I mean, back to Back to the Future, That's Roger the Rabbit. Roger Rabbit, definitely. But those are the three for me. I would say the late, late, later stages of Zemeckis. I think What Lies Beneath is a pretty, pretty great movie too. What Lies Beneath, is, I I haven't seen it since since the theater. Yeah. But I I I loved it then. Yeah. It's like, yeah, Schmaltz's Zemeckis is fine, too, that has its place. But, yeah, I like his subversive spirit, which has always been there. I mean, you go to, like, used cars and whatever. He's kind of, like, got that, too. Yeah, and I want to hold your hand. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and just to go back to the Coens for one more movie, Hudsucker Proxy. I love it so much. That, that, that's, <laughs> the, that's, that's, like, as far as, like, Hail Marys, like, somebody just, yes. like, they're invited into... Uh, Hollywood and they're given like the Joel Silver money, you know, know, just like the, (laughs) literally, yeah. Yeah. Joel Silver movie. I mean, I mean, he's producing, it's not his money, but it's, but, but it's, it's, it's being vouched for, right. By, yes, by it's a, it's, it's a total, it's a Hollywood product and it is like, that's what they used it for to make this like, to make this like Preston Preston Sturges, like Howard Hawks, uh, Frank Capra, like massive, massive, massive. Yep. I mean, it's, it's a masterpiece. Yeah, it's, when Jennifer Jason Lee was in here, as you can imagine, she was one of the. That was like one of those things where it's like that's all I wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah, she's so incredible in that yeah. film. Um, well, clearly, hopefully, this is the first conversation of many. Uh, you're welcome here for every project. I put, I'm putting that down right now. Um, congratulations on the new one, man. Uh, oh, thank if you. People haven't checked it out. Check out Midsommar. Uh We only spoiled a few things in there. You can piece it together, but it's really about the uh, uh, the ride, as it were, the the bizarre. Um, uh, funny at times, disturbing at times, haunting um, uh, journey for these characters. It's it's an exceptional piece of work, and if people haven't seen Hereditary, go back and check that one out too. Um, thanks for stopping by on your birthday, no less. Oh no, thank you for having me. All right, a great way to spend my birthday. All right, we did it. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. (laughs) 